seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a When I first discovered magic, I thought it would be a shortcut. While the chumps of the muggle world struggled to manifest their desires using mundane methods, like working hard and paying for things with money, magic could deliver speedy results on the cheap via strange synchronicities and dumb luck. Sure, if you wanted a new couch, you could drive down to Pottery Barn and buy a brand new one for 600 bucks, Or you could cast a sigil and experience the surprise and delight of finding the love seat of your dreams sitting on the side of the road a week later. But now that I'm older and the teensiest bit wiser, I no longer think of magic that way. Rituals aren't an esoteric form of DoorDash. While I've certainly experienced fantastic results with sigils, they're nowhere near as reliable as Amazon Prime. And that's the point. Magic isn't a shortcut. It's a scenic route. So, in that spirit, I invite you to come with me on a journey. Once upon a time, an illustrator named Smo came to a magical event I hosted in Brooklyn. Smo told his friend Shelby about the wizard he'd met, and Shelby started following me on Instagram. On December 20th, 2021, at 2.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Shelby DM'd me a link to a post about The Dragon Riders of the Sticks, a cheap plastic fantasy toy series made in the 80s by a Hong Kong company called Dimensions for Children. Over the next year and a half, we exchanged a scattered handful of shared memes and random DMs until this April, when I suddenly realized Shelby was based in Gothenburg, Sweden, a place I would be visiting in just a few months. From there, the pace of our conversation increased as I learned more about this mysterious man, Shelby Sinka, an American living in Sweden, juggling multiple creative projects, from the cutesy lo-fi synth vinyl releases he puts out under the name Cat Beats, to Corpse Gnomes, a dungeon synth band featuring Shelby and his fellow musician dressed as gnomes wearing black metal corpse paint. At this point, my curiosity was certainly piqued. And so that's why I asked Shelby to come on this podcast as Ritual, as part of this Swedish series. If nothing else, this podcast is a vehicle for my curiosity and a tool I use to talk to people I'm interested in talking to. Sometimes I start an episode with a clear theme or a title already in mind, and other times I just ask questions and trust that a theme will emerge on its own. Speaking with Shelby, we started with me asking how he ended up in Sweden, and then were immediately interrupted by my house losing power. Recovering from that, we started over, having a conversation that would ultimately be similar, but slightly different from the one we first started. And so that unexpected obstacle led to new explorations, which took us down meandering tangents through punk history, DIY ethics, and Swedish culture to arrive at a magical, 
musical meditation I never could have expected when we first started. Which is precisely the point. Travel isn't a process of crossing each must-see destination off your list in the most efficient manner. Magic isn't a method for getting exactly what you want on the timetable of when you think you want it. My favorite travel stories all come from detours and near disasters. Missing the bus and having to hitchhike, stopping into the random spot that looks interesting because the line was too long at the place the travel guide said was best. And so magic isn't about finding the most efficient route to the spot you expect it to be. Instead, as we'll learn in this conversation with Shelby Sinka, it's all about how to end up somewhere else. All right, Shelby, welcome back to Ritual Space. Uh, I know that this is the start of the conversation for everybody else, but we had just gotten into the conversation when my power cut out completely. And we're like, you know what? Let's uh, let's spin the dice. Let's flip the coin and, and see where it goes. So Shelby, what's our magic word going to be this time? The same or something different? Duality. Duality. All right. Maybe that'll make my power turn back on. Maybe that's the flip of duality. So, all right. Count of three. One, two, three. Duality. All right. So, Shelby, you found me on Instagram because we have a mutual friend who'd attended some wizard things in New York. And then I'd seen your art and some of your music projects and was like, all right, this is pretty cool. But then at some point when I announced that I was coming to Sweden, you were like, oh, hey, I'm in Sweden. And we started chatting significantly more. And I was curious, how did you end up in Sweden? Because you're not a native-born Swede. No, I grew up in Washington, D.C. area, Northern Virginia. But I ended up in Sweden via my punk band from the 90s called Frodis. Mm -hmm. It so happened that a Swedish hardcore kid was visiting the guitarist for the D.C. straight-edge band Battery, whom we shared a drummer with. And we were very different than Battery, not straight edge hardcore at all, more DC Discord meets Chicago, kind of Jesus Lizard, mathy, post-hardcore, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, Daniel, this particular dude, he was always hanging out, went to a bunch of shows and he saw us and he was like, wow, that was amazing. He bought some CDs and vinyl. CDs, wow, this was the 90s. It was the 90s. (laughs) And he brought it to his buddy Hokan in Vanish Bori, who had a record label, No Looking Back, and Hulkan set up a tour for us mm-hmm. in, I guess, the year following, 97, with a band from Linköping called Nine. Then we followed up and toured five weeks in Sweden alone as the opening band to Refused, and Refused also came with us. And was this before or after The Shape of Punk, uh, the, the Shape of Noise to Come? Is that the album? Punk, punk to Come. We punk toured to come. during... The release of that. So we toured Sweden. So it was at their peak. So they were fucking huge then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they could play anywhere, like five weeks in Sweden alone. You could play in a little village and it was an event, even if it was a hundred kids. But of course, that's the beauty of punk. (laughs) It was, it was great. And then they toured with us in America and obviously weren't as big in the South and kind of fell apart while they were in the South. But I knew they were going to end as soon as we met them in DC because the vibe was just off. Uh, so I was like, okay, they're not, they're not having a good time anymore. Yeah. But so it was, but uh, yeah, funnily, funnily, we played 
we met Refuse during the 97 tour because we both played a Vanner Sporty hardcore like festival called Vanner Rockin' with the headliners were the Misfits <laughs> and Refuse were second and then we were third, Frodus and then some other bands. Nice. And that's where we met them. We're kind of like, okay, we vibe. They're like into DC stuff. Yeah. And we kind of speak the same musical language at the time. So we were like, yeah, we should, we should do something. Then it turned out we did something a year, a year later. So... I mean, that was a few years before I was really active in punk communities. But I remember from my high school experience when I was very, you know, in that world that the international punk hardcore scene was so cool. And it was like, yeah, I was listening to bands from Brazil, bands from Finland, getting to hang out with Scandinavian bands at squats in Boston and stuff like that. And it was just such a cool kind of linked network, all based on... You know, just some dude that's like, I have a distro. I put out seven inches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's—I mean, you caught the tail end of kind of this golden era, I would say, of like, uh, like real, real community building. Like it was, mm-hmm. there was an etiquette, I think, in the DIY punk scene that kind of died with MySpace. Not mm. totally, but a big part of it. But I recall, like in the '90s, like the Locust, we'd book a show for them in yeah. DC. Since we're the big draw, we make sure uh, they played before us. Yep. Like basic stuff. And then we gave them all our money. Mm. And then we played in San Francisco with them. They did the same thing. Make yep. sure we'd, you know, we'd play right before them and they gave us all their money. So it was like, you didn't even have to communicate this. It was just happening. A real community. But then like MySpace happened. It's like, I'm going to make it in the music industry. And like, it just still existed, I'm sure. But it definitely got pushed yeah. down. I think it exists more now in the Facebook era, yeah, oddly enough. I mean, I'm a wizard, not a musician, but I got to tour with a band a couple of times, and I remember it was always such a bummer when you would be at a show, and it's like, totally packed, the, the energy's so great, but they've put you on last, and then the local band finishes, and the local band's like, hey, everybody, we're going to Denny's, and then just like the entire crowd leaves, and you're like, dude, fuck you guys. Yeah. It's, Why did, like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so basic, but yeah, yeah that, that went away, but I think... We're going to social media, but MySpace was unique because they were kind of curating. They had kind of a top 10. They had a record label at one point. So they became like the MTV. So they kind of uh, created that, even though I would say MySpace is the lesser evil because there was no algorithm, totally totally, uh, organic. And Tom is like the chillest uh, dot-com guy because he's like, I'm cashing out. I'm just going to take photos and travel. Yeah. It was fun. Smart. So, so chill. I'm yeah. like, yeah, Tom. Yeah. I, I, I'm guy. always confused by the billionaires. It's like, you have more money than you can spend. Why are you working 80 hours a week? Like, just go chill on an island that you own. Like, you could buy a country. Like, go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's baffling. Yeah. Uh, but okay. So let's get back into you've toured with Refused through Sweden. Uh, what was your experience like on that tour? Like, how, how, I mean, as an American of your like touring America, like you're not getting fed, really, like yeah. there's nothing happening. Yeah, like you're getting fed all the, every every night. Like Sweden, like the state is even like covering some of the youth clubs or whatever. Mm. So the sound systems were amazing. Like everything yeah. was just like felt amazing. Yeah, and people were nice, of course. People were nice everywhere in the punk scene at the time, I would say, but. I don't know, just this Sweden vibe. I guess it was definitely more socialist then. You, def- you were feeling more of the, the sharing, <laughs> you, the spreading the love. You'd, you'd kind of see it mm-hmm. in some of the places you played. And, and then, uh, I mean, just the, na- the nature and landscape alone also was like 
don't know. It felt look just felt great. Yeah. I just rem- I remember feeling like being by a ruin by a lake mm-hmm. towards Lin Shoping and I was just being like, Wow, I gotta I gotta somehow be here. This is like so cool. Um it's oh, funny. Power is on. Power's back on. There we go. Uh the duality. Uh mm-hmm. yeah, I was um looking at something and translating some Swedish with my partner this morning. And I forget, I think it was like big minus or something like that. But like the word for ruins was like building memories. Oh, big mean. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know. I actually don't know the word for ruins. Yeah. But that would make sense. Building memories. <laughs> Which I was like, that's a really good version of how to say that. Uh, so what brought you, so what's the next step in this journey? So Hokan later started a band division, Laura Lee. Mm-hmm. They were on Epitaph and... We would uh, we just started hanging out more. Like I'd come to Sweden, hang out yeah. with him. He'd come to DC, hang out with me. We we're just kind of punk vibing. buds, yeah, yeah, punk buds doing stuff. And I mean, at that time, I had a sweet gig doing like AOL pop up ads. Nice, and paid stupid amount, stupid amount of money. <laughs> living in a group house for like four hundred bucks a month or something. Yep. <laughs> it was nuts. So it was like good times, early dot com era. Yeah. So just hanging out with him, and then eventually on one of those trips, I met. My wife. Wonderful. Yeah. So when was that? Mm, I should know. She'll be mad. Four, <laughs> 14 years ago, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, when did you, did you, were you kind of long distance for a while? When did you uh, move to Sweden? For a little bit. I kind of, I visited and stayed for as long as I could on a tourist visa and mm-hmm. she'd visit me. But then we did the overstay visa in America and mm. get, the, get married. And it was a true marriage. It wasn't just for the visa. Yeah. So, yeah, we went for it pretty early on. Like, we only knew each other like a year or maybe. Mm-hmm. We just like felt the vibe. Let's just do this. We did it. And then uh, when the banks kind of crashed, we kind of went back 2009. Oh, we're okay. here for a little bit, but then we couldn't sh- decide. We went to LA after that and mm-hmm. then went back to Sweden. Oh, had a kid and then went back to LA. And then, like, Trump times. And then we're like, oh, it's crazy, yeah. tense. <laughs> and also, like, it, like our plans didn't really work out yeah. in our mind. Like our LA part two plans didn't pan mm-hmm. out as we wanted them to. And then we went back to Sweden and then we've been here ever since for this stint. So this is like a six, six years. I think it's important to acknowledge the value of plans not working out. Like I think, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I hope that you're not just living in regret and devastation because your LA no, no. part two plans didn't work out. And I'm just touching a, a nerve here. We would here. have been <laughs> in regret if we didn't go back. Yeah. To, you know, because then it would be like, what if? Because in Sweden at the time, I feel like it was pretty hard to get a job as a foreigner, mm. like, even though my Swedish was pretty good. Like it's just a different vibe, especially I do tech yeah. stuff, you know, UX design. So it was harder to get a job then. But it's it's definitely changed, I would say, in the two, in like the two years the gaps like yeah it's become like a lot more international Gothenburg that's startups whatever it became like the tech hub for like uh, electric vehicles and like self-driving cars or whatever I don't I've done some uh, work in that area but it just became a lot more vibrant and international and it, it just it felt more relaxed to get a job otherwise Sweden's very by the books like do you have an education in human computer interfaces on do you have this i'm like no i am a kid from the 90s who just jumped on the dot-com train because yeah i knew i ran a bbs in the 80s and like new computers whatever <laughs> experience but like it was a lot more, more rigid before now and then i got a job really easy yeah uh, when we came back it was like I feel like everything a cultural shift happened 
Well, I think the tech industry has really kind of led the charge in that because I remember when I worked in tech, uh, especially with like the backend server dudes, it was, you know, you'd, you'd have people that have like comp sci degrees and stuff like that, but then you'd have a ton of people who are like, I didn't graduate from high school, man. <laughs> I just like <laughs> figured all of this out on my own and now I'm known as incredibly good at it. So yeah, I, I don't have a hard time finding jobs. Like, <laughs> yeah, I make your thing run. Totally. Um, how do you feel like Sweden has changed uh, during this time period? Because it's been a little bit more than 20 years that you've been popping back and forth. Um, hmm. I guess they've gotten, <laughs> they've gotten less cute trams than they used to have. Oh. And otherwise, I mean, it's hard. It's, how does it change? I, like I said, it's become more international. Like mm. I think kind of the younger like immigrants that lived here, their kids went into the workforce and like mm-hmm. people have to kind of Swedes have to deal with, you know, different types of people being in Sweden. Yeah. A little, a little more. So I it's think less of a monoculture. Right. And, uh, I don't think Sweden's had as good of a reputation in integrating as much. It kind of ends up people living out in like the end of the tram la- train lines and mm-hmm. whatever. And it kind of creates, they create their communities there. And like even in the Swedish for foreigners, like textbooks, how to learn Swedish was like, if you come from Syria, maybe you should open a pizzeria. I was like, really? You had that in the textbooks, people? Like, wow. I understand you're trying to be like nice and be yeah. like, that's what other people did. But it's like, no, like they, you don't have to put that on them. Like they can do whatever <laughs> they want. It doesn't matter. So yeah. I think they're slowly, I guess, figure, figuring it out and definitely yeah. gotten better at it. So I'm not by any means an expert on this, but obviously I've been researching Sweden and paying a lot more attention and listening. Uh, Sweden has a Radio Sweden, Polet Svenska, that is like their NPR, oh, yeah. but with slower, easier Swedish for um, people to to learn. And one of the big news things of, you know, I think the last decade, more or less, has been a massive influx of immigrants, especially from Iraq and the... Uh, kind of areas that are Kurdistan, although that's not an official country, um, and Syria and places like that. And that's been a hot button issue from what I've followed in the news. Yeah, I guess the socialist government was more open to letting people come in. I mean, in Sweden as a whole, it kind of was all about like, you know, helping people. Yeah. Refugees. Refugees. Shifted a little bit, but I think it's just like a populist thing. Yeah. It's happened over the years. I mean, you kind of saw it when the bank crash in 2009 like i just remember everyone's like austerity austerity it's like no isn't the point to like like not mess stop all those things yeah i guess I don't know, austerity for you not not the banks the banks we should give a bunch of billions and billions of dollars and bail out but you the individual tighten your belt don't eat avocado toast yeah it's so it's a bit it's a bit strange now i've i'm actually i was born in romania so i Whoa. went to visit i am a, i am also a refugee yeah and uh, first generation in America. So you're like an immigrant squared. Yeah. yeah. So going back to Romania, like I didn't, didn't go until like the late 90s. So I kind of didn't really feel Romanian, but kind of mm-hmm. somewhat reconnected. But I could see there, like, kind of the changes there, like when they joined the EU and mm. how, like, and they were like all these programs to kind of modernize the city and then kind of austerity thing, kind of pushing down, kind of seeing that pendulum swing a bit more dramatically. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, the world's changing all over. And I think one of the things that is hard in America is America has such a only us view. We'll like hyper focus on one news item and ignore global events all the time. 
And when you travel or expatriate, you really get to see a lot more of the differences and similarities by having, I guess, like a wider surface area of context. Yeah. I think uh, it's funny growing up in the DC area in the 80s, it definitely it felt really normal to be an immigrant because mm-hmm. everyone was. I yeah. feel like in the, in the DC area, it's like I just remember Chinese kids down the street, like Korean kids, like no one, it was totally chill. Yeah. And I didn't even think about it. Like, oddly enough, I didn't think about like, where people came, I just thought, okay, this is normal. Until like when we lived in LA, that's where kind of I experienced like the most like open racism, like random guy like working on our house saying something really offensive Whoa. about like a group of people. Like, what? I thought LA is supposed to be like Cali. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's chill. It's like no. It's like whoa. Okay, this is this is unexpected, especially from like DC, Northern Virginia area, where it's like totally normal that have an Ethiopian restaurant down the street from like you know El Salvadoran chicken and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like just all the cultures kind of yeah. meshing together. But DC's, I think DC's unique that way because all the embassies and just kind of the diaspora, as they say. I have a, a friend, a polyglot friend who's on the Washington Post. He speaks like 20 languages, but Woo. he just had a knack for it. And then just, he just traveled to Europe this year yeah. for the first time. But he just learned it. He just like hung out with kids from Russia, kids from like... Peru, wherever, in the punk scene and outside of the punk scene, just because all the embassies are there. And he would just like start picking up the languages and like practicing with them. Yeah. I mean, some people are very good at it. And also, it's baffling to me because I've gone from being okay at Spanish, like I can get around a Spanish speaking country and kind of like figure it out, to learning Swedish. And I'm like, oh, how are you supposed to keep this many parallel words? Like, I'll be in the middle of saying something in Swedish and I'm like, traducir is. That's Spanish. <laughs> nope, that's not the language I'm looking for. So I can't imagine juggling 20. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I should send you a link for it. It's like his Washington Post video thing. They even did a brain scan and like his brain is actually a normal activity speaking most of the language. It doesn't go most of yeah. any language. So his brain actually uses less energy when he's speaking most wow. languages and like kind of the energy that we use. Mm to speak like our first or second foreign language. He's like doing that for languages. He just kind of knows like after the 10th language. He wow. Knows. My brain's just like a laptop when the fan goes on, <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> a a Razor. Yeah. Razor gaming laptop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you've got a lot of irons in the fires. You've got a lot of cool projects. Uh, that was one of the first things I was like, oh, Here's this person, and then their Instagram bio is like eight other Instagrams. Uh, you're let, let's go with my my passion. You're in a dungeon synth. How would how would you describe your corpse gnome group? And that's the name, right? Corpse gnome. Yeah, corpse gnomes. Corpse gnomes. It's two, of, two gnomes. Yeah. It's, it's a dungeon synth project. That's correct. That kind of happened. I don't know how I would describe it. I mean, we were we're just dark gnomes, and we were corpse paint. But <laughs> I would say it's not. In my mind, I kind of actually come at, come at it from like a Swedish perspective, interestingly enough, because I like Bo Hansen, that Lord of the Rings album. Yeah. So uh, just for listeners who aren't familiar, uh, Bo Hansen is like a Swedish prog musician. He's got a bunch of really great magical stuff, but he did this very well-known uh, music nerd album that's like his own soundtrack for the Lord of the Rings. So like, you know, all of the titles are like... The flight from Mirnas Tirith and things like that. Yeah, leaving, leaving Shire. The, leaving the legend, Shire. 
I heard is Jimi Hendrix asked him to be in his band and they experienced yeah. an or organ player. And he was like, no, <laughs> I need to go live on this island and make Lord of the Rings album. Hell yeah. Did. That's what he did. Hell yeah, baby. It's like Enya just like lives in a castle with her two lovers and then just like, yeah. I'm not going to tour. <laughs> she has two lovers? Uh-huh, yeah. Like, and then like one of them is like the lyricist and the other one is like, I forget, the manager or something like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sail away. Yeah. yeah Orinoco flow. <laughs> I, lo- I love me some mom trance. Oh, it's, yeah. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, Clanad, Robin the Hooded Man, BBC show. Ooh. What is that? that one? No, I don't know oh, what you're talking about. Oh, gosh. Okay, we, I got to talk about corpse notes. But no, this this ties in. They showed it on PBS in America. On like at like one p.m. on Saturday is a real weird time, mm-hmm. but it was it's a very dark ro- Robin Hood kind of based on uh, a lot of Welsh and like British Isle like folklore. So oh, okay. Kern the Hunters in it, and it's yeah really weird. Robin the Hooded Man. You can find it on YouTube. Robin the Hooded Man. All right. The song was made by Clanad, which is Enya's band before oh. Enya, before she went solo. All right, and we. Uh, we may or may not use a sample from Corpse Knows. My may or may not have a sample from that show. Yeah. But I mean, that show, now it's kind of going, tying into the cult. Like you saw that show, you were like, what is going on? It's like her and the hunter, who is that coming out of the woods talking to Robin of the Hood? And there's like an evil wizard and a silver arrow. I mean, I'm into you it. You got to get into that. But yeah, so going back to Corpse Knows, uh, I guess it, it picks up on kind of these occult themes, of course, that I liked and when I was younger and Lord of the Rings by Bull Hansen. And then my friend Christian Alsing, he's a very capable musician. We just kind of, we just improvised. Yeah. So we just kind of had a vibe and went for it. But I would say it took me like two years to kind of get my mind in the dungeon synth thing. I had, I was always doing it on the side. Mm-hmm. I had like a more friendly fantasy things I was doing. One, I mean, I think I had Gnome in one of the concept names, Moss Gnome or Invisible Gnome. I don't mm. remember. Uh, Radio Gnome and Invisible Gnome Radio Trilogy. Is that the Gong Records? Gong, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah something like that. But yeah, I, I saw yeah, Gong Radio Gnome Invisible Trilogy, something like that. Yeah, I saw Gong live in D- in Maryland once. Anyway, and the guy is a wizard. I mean, oh yeah, David Allen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh too many tangents. That's what it's all about, man. It's just a big ball of yarn. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, I have the gong book and apparently there was like a big uh, rivalry. He thought magma was evil. Mm. And so there's like the symbols they were battling with like sigils. Like oh, that's so symbols. funny. Magma, whole, the other prog band. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to just go on these tangents, but there's a really funny story. I think it's David Allen. So um, you know the show The Jeffersons? Moving mm-hmm. on up. Uh, so uh, uh, the guy that plays like the main Jefferson's character, I forget to say George something, uh, but he was a huge Gong fan. Like what? this is like the height of the Jeffersons being like one of the biggest sitcoms of the 70s. He's a huge, huge, huge prog rock fan, loves Gong. Here's that David Allen, or I, I'm pretty sure that's who it was because there's a million people in Gong. But here's like that guy's entire, he's like, oh, you got to get him over to hang out with me. Like, manager bring him over and so he gets him to come over and um ah, this actor i'm forgetting his name but anyways he's he's uh, deep in the throes of a crack addiction at that time too and so he's got this like weird scene with like women all over the place this crazy penthouse apartment and he's like this is like the flying teapot room and they have this closet where they have the song flying teapot by gong just playing on loop and he's like you want to hang out in here and smoke crack with me and david i was like no man i think i gotta go 
you know, do a, a recording they thing. They flew him, flew him out for that? I don't think they flew him out. I think he was like in town or something and they were like, get him over here. You know, like. <laughs> hey man, I'm just playing the gig. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild scene yeah. to tell you, but I got, I got to go, yeah. man. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm sketched out. See you later. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right, so back on track. We're on the main path, deep into the forest. There's gnomes everywhere. Yeah, so I, I was trying, I had this dungeon synth, dabbling with it for like a couple of years. And then my friend Cecilia Yelt, the tattoo artist, had a had an art exhibit at this kind of uh, bar club mm-hmm. place where, I mean, most of her painting, or she's, all her paintings are very dark, like bleeding eyes and kind of a lot of torture stuff. Yeah. She asked us, can you do music for it? Asked me. I was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess let's uh, do corpse sums. Yeah. And then we, I don't even, think we practiced maybe yeah. we did once i don't i actually don't remember but we just showed up i had a bunch of loops going on i knew what kind of what to do yeah <laughs> she painted her put corpse paint on us and then boom we went in and it was it was super fun like we had like there's some loops and kind of motifs yeah. but it was very like amorphous and it did we were creating the soundtrack to kind of her artwork and then kind of so i would say she she like uh, birthed the band because she forced us to do something because otherwise it'd be like oh, I'm not ready I need to do I need to get ready yeah I mean this is like how uh, both the Velvet Underground and the Grateful Dead started both as bands called the Warlocks that was like Andy Warhol was like hey <laughs> I need someone to play at a party like play in the background and the acid test stuff was like hey we need someone to play in the background play at this party wow well, yeah. I did not know that yeah that's du- that's, that's that's duality kind of the- for you baby <laughs> Especially because Grateful Dead's kind of like the West Coast ah, and Velvet Underground's a little more like visceral. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. The white light, white heat, dark star mashup we've all been waiting for. Yeah. So I guess I, I, I could continue the duality. So obviously I have duality there from like Corpse Gnomes, which is dark, and then Cat Beats, which is complete like happy Nintendo uh, RPG village music. Yeah. So tell us about Cat Beats. How did that come well, about? Cat Beats was wandering the streets of Playa Vista, California. <laughs> Silicon Beach, as mm-hmm. they call it. Ooh, okay. Right before we were going to move back, we were temporarily living there, kind of near my work. And uh, I was like, uh, what, do, what, what do I want to do musically? I want to do something with the, with the Op 1, you know, that little that synthesizer mm-hmm. by Teenage Engineering. I'm like, but uh, I don't know what to do. I want to I make sure, I want, it has, I want it to have Mellotrons. Maybe it should be <laughs> Hobbit-themed. I'm going to call it, no, no one. I don't want to say the name because it's so obvious, but no one has it. I won't say the name. No, I come might on. use it later. Uh no one's going to steal it. Had, it's copyrighted if you say it on a wizard podcast. There's a there's a very magical production law. You got to be first to first to Bandcamp, <laughs> first to iTunes, <laughs> Apple Music. Uh, 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 but it had Frodo in it. Okay, the name Frodo in Frodus. it. Frodo. No. <laughs> oh, that's I got a funny one about that. And Ian Mackay. Um, had Frodo in it, but it ended up. I was like, okay, uh, this, okay, I have this rough idea. And then we came back to, we got back to Sweden. We had our kid. He was four at the time. Named Frodo? No. No. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know. The, I mean, this is when the news cycle is super crazy, where it's like every day you're like, uh oh, what's, yeah. There was that meme of like, it's like Europeans waking up every morning. It's like shows a guy like 
happy bringing yeah. cake into a party and then at the party there's like someone on fire and like, <laughs> like european that's how it felt as a european waking up every morning like and then that crazy room was america yeah so it was like i feel like it was that new cycle i was like i'm going nuts like and i, I just sit on this balcony mm-hmm. make cat beats as like a healing happy place yeah no goal just create mm-hmm. and then it kind of it resonated with people i built the following i mean instagram is deceiving mm-hmm. uh, it's like the I would say the following kind of happened more on Bandcamp and Spotify where it mm. kind of picked up more. And people started reaching out like they kind of connected with the what I was doing, creating this escapist happy world when yeah. everything kind of felt on fire. And then I'd kind of see it because I'd sell out of these my cassettes all the time. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is cool for once. I'm like right place, right time. I feel like music that I've always been yeah. a little too early or something. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's just kind of built from there. So from humble cassettes to like seven inch vinyl to like crowdfunded 12 inches and you know it does sometimes the algorithm likes me on spotify sometimes it doesn't it's a very strange thing but i remember on my birthday the algorithm like picked up one of my songs i think a song called uh i thought it was an acorn but it was a little guy Mm, good title kind of a gnome idea yeah seeing but a very small gnome and then like whatever for whatever reason hundreds of thousands like wow. you, know, you can't explain it it yeah. kind of that song was actually a bit darker it's a bit portis heady but eerie in a cozy way because i mm. think i think eerie can be yeah co- cozy oh my god yeah a little cabin with thunderstorm outside and the wind yeah. kind of howling yeah that's good so so that's kind of the main music project today is cat beats well, but, it's funny because I had a tangent that I chose not to go down earlier, and now we've come back around to set it up perfectly. But you were talking about the DIY scene and this etiquette and reciprocity and all of these things that really held it together and how MySpace and stuff kind of changed that. And I was working in uh, startups and sitting at a desk and listening to music all day when Vaporwave was really growing and happening. Mm. And I was so fascinated by this completely... Um, non-spatially oriented scene. It wasn't like, oh man, have you heard the Baltimore vaporwave scene? Like that's where it's at. It's like, no, this is just coming from the internet and Bandcamp and Reddit and people remixing each other and finding a vibe and going and creating, you know, Bandcamp labels and all of that. And so I'm curious with Cat Beats, what's your feel like? Do you feel like you're part of a scene with that project or you're just off in your own little world? Well, for a moment, there was a, Spotify had a cute, Spotify had a cute beats playlist. Ah, I I was not on it, but I was kind of in that scene somehow. The early op op one, you know, the little sequencer by Teenage Engineering. There was a Instagram called Op One and Chill, Ooh, and they okay. kind of would repost a lot of people. This is like six. This is about five six years ago. Yeah. And they would repost me. So I was kind of in the early Op 1 and Chill scene. And then it, it was kind of between lo-fi beats meets Nintendo. But there was a moment where there's this kind of very Nintendo-y thing happening. So I, I latched more onto that mm. aspect, the video game aspect. I mean, sometimes I still I get a little hip-hop-y, but definitely more Nintendo is in my, my soul. So yeah. it, it, people say it, it's everything I make sounds like it should be an Animal Crossing or like a village in some RPG. Sounds like, okay, I'll embrace that. Like mm-hmm. RPG villages are super chill and like 16-bit, 8-bit. Like, well, and that's, I think, become this like YouTube genre with the low-fi hip-hop beats, the chill and study too. And then 
Uh, there's other ones where we'll have like the most minimal animation and it's kind of similar to the same vibe of like, I think more and more we like the idea of being in a cozy fantasy world where we're just sitting on a porch with a cartoon frog and a cat and the rain's gently falling and our tea is misting and it's just different than the chaos of the world outside. Yeah, though I think the cute beats thing kind of, it lost, like Spotify removed that playlist and it kind of lost steam and I would say lo-fi beats took over it would mm-hmm. still have some elements in there but i'm kind of in between i don't i'm too uh beats for it's kind of my frotus dilemma At yeah the time in the 90s it was like oh you're too screamy for indie and too like indie for hardcore yeah and so i'm like too video game for lo-fi and too lo-fi for video game or something but i don't i think people are more open now so i obviously have like a crowd yeah. you are everything the, the third thing that is neither Every- and contains both yeah, everything goes in waves. Yeah. So uh, somehow it fits in under chill wave too. Chill wave is a very strange amorphous genre. It could be, and it's like, yeah, that's a kind of, what is it? That also, <laughs> that's like an older one. That's like one of those, you know, uh, late 2000s music blog things where everyone was trying to mint whatever the next scene was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it was just a bunch of bloggers being like, wave. Yeah, this is a, this is a steam dolphin trap. I called it. I named it. It's mine now. Steam Dolphin Trap sounds awesome. Yeah. Or what was but, it? No, yeah, I was va- trying to think of Sea Punk. It was like there was like Vaporwave and Witch House and Sea Punk. And some of these were kind of more real than others, I think. Well, I think I, I, I went deep down. I love Vaporwave. I went yeah. deep down the rabbit hole. Apparently, it was like Sea Punk as like a visual genre. Mm-hmm. Picking up on like the Echo of the Dolphin and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Whatever. And oh, I read too many articles about all that. Well, like, that was the, the I think of, one of the things that was so interesting because like Vaporwave was so conceptually interested in itself that like yes there's vaporwave music there's vaporwave aesthetic and then there's also vaporwave discourse of you know pitchfork writers doing a big think piece about like the aesthetics of a dead mall as a holographic virtual reality future that we're trapped inside the loops of capitalism it just like just gives you a lot to chew but i I think it's amazing like kids who never experienced the 80s like captured like a nostalgia that someone who was there in the 80s at a mall yeah i was like wow they they hit this they know they hit it yeah they hit the vibe and I'm, i get like I get a little misty yeah. listening to the right vaporwave i think the weirdest one is like news at 11 whatever that one is like the about 9 11 like right oh i don't it's know like, that it's fascinating it's like it's an album or it's like it's an album yeah. like vinyl it blew up yeah. and it's kind of like the last moment of it's like where america lost its innocence so it's like kind of building up to 9-11 oh. and like everything's so happy like the weather reports and all these things and it was yeah. sunny and I think I mean someone said like I don't know who I asked they were like, Amer- like Amer- America before 9-11 everyone was so optimistic and then like 9-11 kind of was this moment where like I mean I was there I lived in Arlington Virginia our freaking yeah. house sh- our, our house shook whoa we, so, because the Pentagon's there yeah. it was crazy but it was it's kind of like this optimi- American optimism kind of like the the album gets it like yeah. there it was there you didn't you know I can my dad could go with me all the way to the the whatever the check oh yeah the, the board, gate the, the board, gate the yeah gate. Mm-hmm. I mean it was it kind of was like this you know Bill Clinton like in the nineties like woohoo yeah our president's playing saxophone everything's kind of chill even though I always felt like it was a bit excessive with the SUV mania back then but yeah. But I mean, I think that album captures it, and it's 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 fascinating that it, I mean the comment. I, I got sucked down the rabbit hole of reading those comments again. Go back to the duality thing. It's like this album about a moment 
mm-hmm. right before this moment and then right after. And it's yeah. it's kind of both. Well, there's there's a couple of phenomenons that I'm really interested in. There's I I, I always forget the technical term. Maybe it's maybe it's shifting baseline, but basically everyone's you know, growing up and nostalgizing their past, but then kind of forgetting what their past was actually like, and you get used to things. And so suddenly, then you forget, you know, oh, this is weird that you have to take off your shoes at the airport. Like that, if you went back into the 90s and you were trying to get into the airport and you like took off your shoes, everyone would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're like, let me pour out my water bottle. They'd be like, dude, you don't have to do any of that. That's That's crazy. And yeah, I think that we lose track of these uh, these changes very quickly. Like that suddenly just becomes the way the world is. And then we're just going down that path. Yeah. And even like, like nineties music to like, now it's like people forget that indie labels, even like the indie label scene was shady. Like you'd be, you'd have a distributor, you're a smaller label. The distributor will pay the big labels first and then not the little labels. And then the distributor will shut down and then you're screwed yeah, people complain. Of, I mean, Spotify, whatever. Yeah, but a computer's paying you, not a human. So it's kind of like you know, there's new, I guess, corruption or whatever that's occurring in both ways. I, but I mean, going to the magic word I didn't use, yeah, which is a Terrence McKenna term, novelty. Mm. Um, uh, I feel like this, this is a maybe a controversial statement, but. Maybe Spotify, I think Spotify, yes, they pay too little, but I don't know if they should pay as much as it was as a CD because it's less novel to have a million streams now. Yeah. Like I meet people like on occasion just out in a bar like, oh, this guy, yeah, two million streams. Like it's less novel. So why should you pay, be paid a million dollars if it's not as special anymore? Yeah. So it's like Terrence McKenna was right. Novelty has gone up. I have, a, I have a theory about the time wave zero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I think like everyone that brings up Terrence McKenna on the podcast has a Terrence McKenna impression to go with it. <laughs> I never did it until I heard Ramin Nazir from Rain, Rainbow Brain Skull. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's an amazing impressionist. It's so funny where, one, I remember learning that one of the last albums to go like quadruple platinum or whatever was Aaron Carter. Like, welcome to Aaron's house. So he was Nick Carter from NSYNC's or the Backstreet Boys' brother. And so that Hmm. was just like, in that early 2000s period, CD sales were at this absolute bubble mania spike, and it was just ridiculous. And now the biggest album in the world is not going to go platinum. It's like, it's that you just don't have sales like that. But I'm also always curious when I see a figure about CD sales, I'm like, who's still buying physical CDs? Like, I understand people that are collecting vinyl and tapes and other things that are more in the DIY market. But like, who is out there that's like, ah, got to drive 45 minutes to find the last Sam Goody in Illinois so I can buy this Taylor Swift album. No other way to listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I asked the 18-year-old recently and she said that uh, that they're buying CDs again. It's fun. It's cool. Well, yeah. But I, rem- I remember the dark side of CDs. I remember when it, it's all Best Buy, you know? Like, yeah. Their whole concept of CDs. My first job was at a record store for like like five six years. We were down the street from what would be a Best Buy, and uh, they, they it destroyed our indie record store in '99. It closed down because they would sell their CDs cheap because it would be an ad to come in to buy mm-hmm. to buy a, a washing machine. Yeah, 
Well, then they were also Columbia's like, here, send us a penny and we'll give you 12 Beck albums. Yeah, but that was, there was something shady about that one. I don't know what it was. Yeah, and then you, your parents would get charged $30 a month for the next 12 months and couldn't cancel it and were mad that you'd gotten your 12 Beck albums. Yeah, but yeah, someone's buying CDs. Yeah. Well, I, um, I've been watching a ton of Swedish TV and there was a series called The Playlist that was about the formation of Spotify being a Swedish company. Mm. And it's really interesting because it's kind of uh, like Rashomon style where each episode is the founder, the lawyer, the software guy, the you know music exec. And so it's showing the story from different angles and it, the versions are different. You know, It's all about Daniel Ek, the founder in the first episode. And later you see, oh, actually other people were more influential and yada, yada. But um, Pirate Bay is a huge part of that because the Pirate Party was like a bigger movement in Sweden. And it was kind of like wild to watch this and just go, oh my God, I totally forgot about this moment when, yeah, just everything's on Pirate Bay, torrenting. Yeah, it was, it was I, I definitely, I definitely recall that. And it was like the, it was a it's, it totally makes sense. Like someone like that Daniel, I kind of jumped in, came in from that angle because it was so commonplace in Sweden. Then I, I, I think there was one artist, even some indie artist. He, I think he, there's some guy, I, th- I don't know who it is. Someone in Gothenburg, someone told me that makes like a ton of money because Daniel was like, Oh, we need to get artists on my new platform. You want to do it? And he signed like an awesome royalty deal. Wow. <laughs> like some early artists that are like Swedish artists that are like, living good yeah. in the early days. Now, I can't cite uh, you know, my sources on this. Uh, this might just be apocryphal, but I remember hearing once about the, the band Royal Trucks that when Nirvana's Nevermind blew up and all the major labels were like, we had no idea what was happening. We just need to sign whoever's going to be their next Nirvana. Like, and they're just throwing contracts at all these bands. Royal Trucks wrote their own contract and shopped it around and got a major label to sign it. And it gave them incredibly favorable terms where they, I think they retained vinyl rights and were able to put out the records through Drag City uh, while the major label was doing the CDs. And it was like some crazy, crazy upfront multi-million dollar advance. And then they put out the album that infamously had uh, a cover art that was just a toilet bowl full of shit (laughs) and Rolling Stones gave it a zero star review and they got dropped from the label eventually but then all of the rights reverted back to them and this like you know it was just such a sweetheart deal and I think they invested in like an Indian casino um, with the initial money and so like just really found the right way to do that but maybe that's all bullshit I don't know Uh, ask Ian Sfinonius that you (laughs) before he's buddies with those guys I'm sure he is. Yeah, I'll have to call him up. Wasn't didn't he have a was he had a band with them? It was uh not weird. Was it Weird War? Weird War, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh with Neil Haggerty. Yeah. Yeah. I think with uh with Spotify and that show, what really shook me was there was this era where it was like information wants to be free. Like you're never gonna be able to charge for things online. And we change that now it's like oh yeah i'm not gonna pirate movies i'm just gonna watch netflix and you know i i think younger generations from what i can tell are not as into piracy as was the vogue back in my day but it's interesting seeing things fracture now and and where it's all gonna go because trying to figure out how to get money back to the actual artist continues to be a struggle at any era of the music industry (laughs) yeah i mean the music industry started as thievery like screwing over like 
black uh, artists, like blues mm-hmm. artists, the crappy yeah. record deals to put out like whatever, 78, 78s or whatever it was. Yeah. So it's like it started completely shady. So I don't know. I mean, the history of music is longer than the music industry. So people will always be making music, I think. Yeah. I, th- I think this is just a, this is just a tiny blip in humanity. Yeah. I think the Pirate Bay thing is interesting. It's like culture should be subsidized, I guess they were assuming. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their platform was, but if all these things are free, then like maybe, you know, high tax dollars are going into these things. But then, I mean, it's a duality. Like every system creates another like corruption or something messed up. Yeah. And like maybe these people are getting favored over other people. There's this mm-hmm. free, you know, yeah. government funded like uh, entertainment industry. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. But I guess the way, I guess, I think Imogen Heap is working on a, has a concept that I, I also thought of this concept at one point that everything should be on the blockchain and then everything just gets automatically go to block. Yeah. Just, and I think she was also thinking kind of the lines that I was thinking like where there's no such thing as copyright. Like mm-hmm. if you sample whatever, some old 50s doo-wop thing, and mm-hmm. then it blows up those that link that blockchain right. will have a little that and that person that person's family will get automatically paid or whatever but i mean it's just going to become more novel and like then it's going to be less more common that <laughs> it's just like uh, i don't know what the what the end game is like a million a mil, everyone's going to have a million streams and yeah what 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 does money mean I mean, that's what's fascinating about this time right like mm-hmm. nft like i'm not into nfts but it's just like people it's to quote star wars episode 1 <laughs> your, your focus determines your reality, right? Mm. Qui-Gon said that to Anakin, I believe. That's but a I'm good sure line. Com- I'm sure it comes from something else, but yeah. I think about it a lot. And uh, it's like everyone was like, yeah, JPEGs are worth something now because there's, there's a receipt. And then everyone did it. Like humans are amazing. And yeah. they just did it. People believed in it. Mm. I don't know if they believe it anymore, but it's like anything. It's like, I mean, though, I'm not a big fan of Mr. Trump, but the one thing that he was good at is like he believes what he says so i guess he's like a manifesting genius in a way he's like he's like yeah it's it's fake and there was a million people at my thing and he be- he really believes it and oh, yeah and people feel it if you really believe it it's like so like you're changing <laughs> yeah. your focus determines your reality like you're sh- maybe it's like uh it's in his head some things but i mean he is shifting i'm not a shifting. liar you're a liar yeah you're shifting reality with mm-hmm. like these words and i think i think the one positive the thing is like show is showing like your focus it's like yes it, you can change reality by your words and like believing in things and then people believe in nft so it's like we could do anything so i mean I'm well they did i think that was here. a bubble that's already yeah but it's i was like i was sad that after covid like we didn't keep on pushing the brakes i was like i'm ready i was like we did this now together as yeah. humans of not everyone was down for it but i was like let's keep on going for the environment let's fly less let's just do whatever we can and like keep on this right oh yeah 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 not the nft but, but the uh the environmental thing but just slowing down and uh I, and but then that didn't happen like covid was done it was like we gotta go on vacation again i was like what no we no 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 we don't need to do that anymore let's keep on figuring this out but yeah hmm? i i was like are we just going to agree that like you shouldn't go to like giant, you know, it's a bad idea to have 50,000 person events. And it was like, no, we want to go back to basketball games. Like, I mean, I get it. It's a human thing. But at the same time, I, I don't know. What does it take for everyone to be like, yeah, let's all do this together. I mean, you can see that people can do it. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be forced to. 
I think it's um with the way the world is changing and things kind of accelerate, I think, especially going back full circle to, you know, punk culture, punk was resisting a mainstream that didn't want to engage with punk culture. I mean, sure, you know, there was, you know, bands that sold out and, you know, merch you could buy at Hot Topic and stuff. But like being a punk was a weirder thing and it was kind of its own culture. And no one was like, ah, time to like cash in on this, like hardcore straight edge punk scene with seven inches coming from Finland. And I think now everybody is so hyped to look for the next bubble that you don't have that moment where like a scene just gets to be this small little quirky thing in the same way. And instead of like having to fight to like prove that the blockchain, everyone's like, nope, we've got investors that are ready to just throw money at this thing and see if we can ride the hype wave. Oh, is it lo-fi chill hip hop beats is the thing now? Sure. Let's start cranking those out. There's a a million kids that want to buy a synthesizer and, and do that. And, you know, it's the here comes everybody effect. Yeah, I mean, the novelty is high and it, it makes the duality even more like, like everything's bouncing yeah. back and forth. So, I mean, yeah. I guess that's that's where we're at. And again, unfortunately for the environment, it's going to have to be like more catastrophes and like climate refugees and be like, oh, yeah, maybe we should do something about this, right? I don't know. Melt it down, turn it all into MP3s. Uh, oh, I was now you had my joke. I had a joke. I wanted to start a used MP3 store. Ooh, yeah. Online, <laughs> and send, you send me an email, and then you go, "Hey, man, can you send it back?" Uh, <laughs> That's kind of blockchain, isn't it? There's a weird joke in like <laughs> DJ meme culture about uh, you don't want to use MP3s because they degrade over time if you play the files too much. That's funny. <laughs> so like that. uh, let's just focus on the the two person scene we've created right now here in this moment. What are you excited about right now? Like, what are the arts and cultures and projects and things that are uh, revving you up? Hmm. Well, I did apply for a Swedish. There's a Kulturnata, mm-hmm. where there's a cultural night in October, yeah. and we did kind of an unofficial one where you're not on the website, kind of at this. Uh, my friend's kind of a clothing skateboard shop spot called the Sunshine Shrine. Uh-huh. And now we're doing an official one. I got, I, I actually applied on time and got a login. And so it's going to be on the Kulturnata thing. So cool. there's more of a, people are kind of wandering around the streets during that night and like kind of looking at the program. And then, so we could actually have more of a crowd at that Kulturnata. So I'm happy to be a part of that. Is that, um, are you doing music for that? Is that a new yeah, project? Yeah, it's just Cat Beats and Friends. I don't okay. know exactly yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah. It'd be me and then whoever yeah. else wants to do something. Could Co- be a lot of cozy improvisation. Vibes. Yeah, cozy. Yeah, so I, I uh, hopefully that spurs me to kind of get more involved because there is a, a bit of a Gothenburg. There, there, there's an arts, official kind of city arts mm. thing. I, I have this uh, desire Mm, that wasn't that was the that was the last podcast the person said desire. Those yeah. are Swede. Uh-huh. Maybe she can help me. Um, so museums in the winter. So museums on Thursdays are open until seven p.m., which is very strange because no one's there. Like pe- parents, kids aren't there. Like yeah. whatever. So I want to do a thing in the winter time where it's like no one's out. Like ambient music in like these liminal, like unused Ooh. museum spaces at probably like six five. 30 p.m., give them time to close, whatever. It's like right after dinner, six maybe. Just like an hour of like ambient music in like this weird, beautiful wooden nook at the Natural History Museum where like yeah. there's like these weird water 
at the Maritime Museum, they, they re-renovated it. There's like these kind of rooms, kind of pretty thematic rooms. One's kind of like a sh- like you lay down and there's a sheet above you and they project like waves on it and have yeah. water sounds. So there's all these amazing spaces that that are kind of, I think, could be utilized and accentuated more with some cool like ambient music, cultural things. So I'd like to, I'd like to make that happen. Did you ever go to, I think it's called the Dream Room. I might be getting the name wrong and I'm not going to try and look it up in the moment, but um, Lamont Young's installation in New York City. Do you know what I'm... So Lamont Young was like, you know, friends with John Cage and Philip Glass and that mm. kind of that kind of crowd. And there's an apartment that was in like the Soho area, Bowery area of New York where you would, you would go up and then it's just this totally empty apartment with kind of like soft lighting, uh, you know, colored lighting. And he had set up speakers throughout with different tones and things playing so it sounds completely different depending on where you are in the space like you can just lay on the floor and then you just shift your head over a little bit and suddenly the sounds totally different and that's what you would do you would just go in and there'd be like some kind of docent person that's like there to make sure you don't have a conversation and you take your shoes off or mm-hmm. whatever and then you just walk around this place and you just kind of hang out that's cool sounds very droney yeah, I like it. So I guess I'm talking about things I want to, I guess I want, I'm excited about creating events where I would interface with other musicians and hear what they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But as far as like, I'm excited about what my friends are doing. I'm excited about you coming. I'm excited to come too. What should we do? <laughs> let's, let's, let, let's quick brainstorm. What would be a cool wizard and corpse gnome or cat beat thing that could happen? We're just going to seed an idea. It's not, there's no commitment. I mean, I like my my old, I like my little pagan stuff too. Yeah. Fortunately, don't have a car. I would say like driving, kind of sleep on some uh, old barrow mound. See mm. if you have some ancient dreams. Yeah. Which I, I've only done once in Sweden. I did it once in France. It was really nice at this in Karnak. Um, yeah. There's check out a little Bronze Age thing would be cool. I guess I can't. I guess we you got to do that on your own. I'll send you on some missions. But okay, quests. I quests. Yeah. Just have a stroll around town into the forest, maybe get a canelbula, yeah. have some coffee, talk, <laughs> meet some peeps. I mean, that's fika is the greatest thing in Sweden. Like, <laughs> there's a word. I mean, fik it means cafe, mm-hmm. and the fact they made a verb yeah. out of the word cafe, so it's like I'm gonna the act of this will come a up coffee and a more snack. on the podcast if it hasn't already. But just for anyone out there, yeah, fika is like the let's go get coffee and a pastry and just hang out and chat, like offices have fika breaks like it's it's a thing yeah and that's kind of i think that's maybe why i when i realized that i was like yeah sweden's awesome i remember visiting hokan once in the 90s or 2000s and they were like i don't know they're all they're just doing they were just in bands and there was like fika like three like kind of like all almost all day they were pretty yeah. decadent about it i was like this is awesome like, <laughs> i love this place <laughs> it's crazy yeah it's so chill well, I just want to make, yeah, like a magical wizard cafe that looks like one of those YouTube animations and people can just come in and there's just like wizards vibing to lightly magical synth music. Are there YouTube lo-fi wizards now? No, I was just saying like there's all the other channels where it's like the girl, you know, like studying, yeah. right? And it's like we could just make that in real life where it's just a wizard kind of just slowly eating the cinnamon bun and drinking a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would That would be great. Well, I'd love that. We'll make it happen. Uh, let's end with a spell. So I know we've had kind of a random tangential conversation about Prague and punk and all the things in between. 
But what's a little bit of your magic that the listeners can do to uh, to bring some energy, make their world slightly better? I, I was I actually thought about this. I put my kids to sleep. I did a little druidic meditation as mm. I'm, I'm a big. I'm a I'm a member of the order of, of bards, ovates, and druids. Okay, yeah. I think I told you that on Instagram. Yeah. So I had I had a for some reason I I. I kind of went into space and I had an idea of, of, uh, intentions, intentions, putting, putting things out there. Yeah. Maybe I'm influenced by, cause I listened to, I finished listening to your podcast the last two episodes of past like day and today. <laughs> ah, the snake is eating its tail. <laughs> yeah. But so maybe this spell is for you, but it's for everyone. Oh, but, I'll, I'll take a spell, please. But it's, it's like, I guess I want to, I want to try a guided meditation. <laughs> I've never done it. Yeah. Okay. So we could close close your eyes. Unless you're driving, don't close your eyes if you're driving. But everyone else, yeah, you could li- <laughs> listen to this later. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna mimic a little bit of a fellow druid, Philip Cargom, because he's good at this and he has a good cadence of getting in. So take a deep breath and out. Another one. Hold for a few moments out slowly through your mouth be aware of where you're sitting in the floor, walls ceiling and even the screen in front of you and let that fade fade away and imagine that you are sitting in a grove in a lush Swedish forest. Could be a mixture of pine trees and oak trees. The grove itself, there's some large rocks in the center and moss of different types growing on them. It's a bit dark not quite night there's a cool breeze maybe a slight smell post rain so the leaves and foliage have that particular scent of after the rain smell and looking around you there seems to be nobody there it's a not a very large grove but a medium sized grove but it somehow feels like it's your grove. And you reach into your pocket, and in your pocket you find some seeds. Not quite sure what kind of seeds they are. They could be flowers or vegetables, something, but it's irrelevant exactly what they are. And you go to the center of the grove and with your hand and four fingers, you create four little indentations in the dirt. And these indentations are like a, a tiny, almost like a tiny farm for yourself, or perhaps small gnomes who may live amongst the crevices of the mossy rocks. You notice when you dig into the soil, smell the start the strong smell of the soil and 
hanging from your fingers. You take these seeds and you sprinkle them in the in the little paths that you created with your four fingers. And for a moment, you think about things that you'd like or experiences you'd like to have or everything. it could be specific or non-specific. It could be you just want to feel at peace. You want to have a great Penelope in Sweden. Anything. These are your desires. You place these desires, these ideas from your mind into the seeds and slowly cover up seeds of the soil. And you step back, sit down and be aware of the forest around you, the grove around you, the trees, your connection to the trees, your non-duality of perhaps pure awareness of being one with everything, but at the same time, you are you, but you create, you remember this space, the space you can go back to at any time before you sleep tomorrow in a week to see if these seeds, what they grow to be. And with that, take a deep breath. And slowly, Will you wiggle your toes, move your hands, and become aware of the room you're sitting in, the walls around you, your feet on the ground, your screen in front of you, and let the scene fade. And then open your eyes. Thank you, Shelby. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is... I guess that's a bit of a, a druidic grove meditation, which is common mm-hmm. and similar to your last podcast. There's many podcasts kind of talk about the imaginal realms. Oh yeah, and kind of setting intentions in the imaginal realms, and that's a big part of uh, modern day druidry as druidry as mm-hmm. well. But kind of creating these spaces, which for role playing game nerds like us, we're just totally used to it. I mean, it's I've never done a meditation in this way. For a second, I was like, should I just break the meditation and be like, there's a trap door and you're going, <laughs> there's a dungeon? No, okay, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm doing this for Devin. I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to do a perception check on the seeds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a nice practice because you create these spaces and, yeah. and you set your unconscious intention. It kind of helps you, creates a little space you can go to, to like level and kind of like think about and this specific seed one, which kind of came to me, mm-hmm. like as I was waiting for my kids to fall asleep, is more, I guess I was thinking for you and for anyone, just kind of to just setting intentions of what you'd like and kind of seeing where they go. And, and like oftentimes in life, it never is exactly maybe how you imagine it, but yeah. you kind of get there somehow. Oh, absolutely. I love doing um, every so often these kind of like multi-month ritual sequences where I'll be like, okay, here's the theme. This, you know, each month will be in this order. Maybe it'll be a series of tarot cards. And I'll kind of just do a little something different each month. It's not like, you know, I'm 
in a monastery and just only focused on one thing. But I'm kind of like, all right, let me just like do a little ritual each month and kind of have a different vibe. And I did one that was all about like soil to seed to sprout, like all the way up to this kind of flowering plant that ended up taking me through COVID. I started it when I was in quarantine in New York, and then I finished it in my new house in Kentucky and was like, wow, (laughs) that was not where I expected to be at the end of this ritual. But, you know, it takes you places. Wow, that's cool. I think the on the duality part, I thought of this one as well, because for some reason, I feel like summer, even though I feel like summer is a very kind of, I don't know, very slow time for me in a way, Mm -hmm. fallow time, if you will. Like, I'm too hot to do anything. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, I'm cre- I cre- I mean, I make some music things and all that, but like, it's also I don't know. Going to full Sweden's very dual. Like yeah. the winter, like no one hangs out. It's like I like it, yeah. but everyone kind of gets cozy and plays video games and do this thing. And then like, as soon as the, they're like sun worshippers, as soon as the sun comes out, it's like <laughs> so intense. Like hang out. I almost call, I call it stress hanging out. Like, <laughs> There's a Swedish phrase, passapor. Mm-hmm. Just like you have to, they say, it's sunny, you got to go out. And it's uh, like you're stressed out about making plans to fico with your friends because it's good weather. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of not chill in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's chill, but not chill. So I think. Oh, it that, just reminds me of growing up where parents would be like, it's such a beautiful day. And you're like, yeah, but I just want to play Tony Hawk in this basement. So <laughs> like, who cares? Don't Don't make me go outside. I mean, it's even more intense in Sweden because it rains so much. So, I mean, it's raining today. So, I guess it came to me because I I feel like I'm in that. Some some people feel like summer's like there's a lot of energy and they get a lot of energy. And I mean, I get that too. But for me, for me, I felt like it's like opposite. Like I feel like I'm I'm kind of I'm a winter wizard, baby. Yeah, me too. I'm a fall druid, I guess. Um, But the fall is the harvest, but in my mind, it's like I plant the seeds because then when like kind of mm-hmm. the harvest happens, yeah. what, what what do you plant in the summertime? I've, I've played Harvest Moon. I don't know what I'm planting. <laughs> and what is eggplants? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Depends on your climate. It felt like it was like a, I don't know. It came to me. It's I guess it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a little spell for you, a little meditation for you or anyone who wants to kind of, as Qui-Gon says, your folk to, your focus determines your reality to have something to focus on to create your reality beautifully said thank you shelby thank you Devin. for more of shelby's magic you can visit catbeats.life which is the home for his cat beats musical project or you can check him out on instagram at shelby Sinka, where you can see all of the various projects that he has his hands in and For more of This Podcast is a Ritual, just keep listening to This Podcast is a Ritual. It's magic. I don't know where we're going in the long term, but I do know that in the short term, I'm going to Sweden and we've got more episodes with Swedish occultists and other people that will be at this magical retreat I'm attending coming up in just the next few weeks. If you want to support this podcast and the weird, wild, rambling magic we're engaged in, you can visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where you can give me a tiny bit of money and I will continue to explore my own curiosity and your own magic 
in the strange synchronicity we call podcasting. I'm your wizard, Devin Person. I believe in you. Your magic is real. (laughs) 